House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. Dave Martino. Present. I'm here. <laughs> but you were going to say something else. I know. I just thought I'd stop and surprise you. I'm just you did. I'm a wild man today. You are. You're crazy. Crazy man. What's going on? I don't know. I need to. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, you know, I've been seeing all these electric bikes. Are they popping up where you are, too? Like, they just park them on the corner of the streets, you know? No. Yeah, because they, they started doing all these... Uh, electric gliders or whatever, these these scooters, you know. Oh, I, I have seen a kid driving around the neighborhood in one. Yeah, they're starting to, the companies are just putting them out, right? You have to put money yeah. in, and then you can ride it or drive it for a while until okay. the money runs out, I guess. <laughs> and then, uh, But I'm seeing them popping up all over. I still, I'm still feeling weird about that. Nobody wants to walk anymore. Well, I'm just thinking, I just do that. And then, <laughs> uh, you know, how many others, I wonder how many get stolen. Yeah, <laughs> you know, joyride. Yeah, joyride it and ride it home, and then take the, yeah. the little money thing off. And unless there's some sort of GPS on them, I have no. Oh, idea. there probably is today. Yeah, nowadays it could be. Yeah, that's what we'll have to try. <laughs> Go on joyrides with these things. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see if we can steal one and see how long it takes for them to come to the yeah, door. We'll make a day of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, today we are. Getting into horror, and uh, we've got a Crystal Lake publishing horror writer, um, and his new book is called It Haunts the Mind and Other Stories. So, Mr. Nick Roberts, thank you for coming to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. Let's, let's talk about you, and um, this isn't your first book, so how did you get into writing? I've been writing, really, since, uh, you know, before first grade. You know, I used to draw pictures of monsters and superheroes, and then as I progressed through elementary school, I'd put little dialogue bubbles and then start writing sentences and stories, and I've always had this drive to have this creative output. I don't know where it came from, but when I'm not writing or when I'm not expressing myself creatively in some way, I get uh, anxious and irritable and just backed up. I started really focusing on screenplays, honestly, in, in high school, I watched a lot of movies by uh, like writer-directors like Quentin Tarantino and the Coen brothers, and I fell in love with the language, and I saw the language and the writing as an art. Well, around high school and before college, I, I'm an advocate for people in recovery, so I, this is nothing I haven't spoken about before. But after high school and before college, you know, my life kind of derailed. It was around that 18 to 24 year old range that, uh, you know, my life just spiraled into full blown alcoholism and addiction. And needless to say, writing was not a priority during that time. In 2000, April 15th, 2012, I went to treatment and I've been clean and sober ever since, going on 12 years now. And what happened was, once my mind kind of cleared up, I realized that, you know, I still have this creative thing in me. And not only that, but I have some interesting life experience. <laughs> and you know, I went back to, ended up going back to college, and I majored in English. And I quickly found out that 
an English degree doesn't necessarily have people lining up to hire you for a job. Right. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't even have it. I didn't even have the teaching component attached to it. It was just general English. So I graduated with this English degree and ended up getting married and you know having a kid. And realized I needed to. Do, if I wasn't going to be a full-time writer, I needed to at least get a teaching degree. So I ended up getting my master's in teaching. And uh, after going through a, a rigorous background check, you know, extensive vetting, I was able to get hired on as an educator. Ended up getting my master's in, in teaching and my, my doctorate in uh, leadership studies. So along the way there, uh, I had met a friend in the English department, the only other male in that English department uh, in college, and he was a he was a Marine, and he told me he said, "I know that you like to write. Um, if you ever want to, uh, you know, submit something to me, because by this time, you know, after we both had graduated, he was running a literary magazine down south." And he, he'd reached out to me. He said, you know, if you ever want to submit something to my magazine, I'll, I'll be glad to take a look at it. Can't guarantee anything. You know, if it sucks, I'm not going to just publish it because you're my buddy. This was in 2019. So I'm sitting there and I said, if I, I, I'm, I'm never going to do this unless I just sit down and make myself do it. Otherwise, it's just going to be a fantasy and a regret that I'll live with if I don't actually try to seriously write something. And so I wrote a short story that was semi-autobiographical, and it was about a, a guy in his early 20s who come, who's struggling with addiction, and he's at the end of his rope, borderline suicidal, and he has this idea, hey, I'm going to hire a low-rent hitman to take me out in a year if I don't clean my act up and completely change my life, if I don't ha hit this, this, and this on this checklist, I'm paying this guy to take me out. That story was called The Deal, and I ended up submitting it to him. He loved it, published it. And once I saw my name under a story in a magazine for the first time, man, it, it, it was my, a new addiction started. You know, I had to jump on and get that next publishing credit. So from then on, I started submitting to diff I got on Submittable and started submitting to different anthologies and literary magazines and contests. And I knew nothing about the business. I just wanted to get my work out there and get as many credits as I could. So that's that's really how I got into getting my name out there before I started my first novel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did the same. I was submitting to porno magazines. <laughs> and uh, they kept turning me down. <laughs> said I was too, too Were the graphic. pictures included? Yeah, and I thought for sure that would be it. But they said, no, we, <laughs> we, we're not looking for grandpa bodies. We're looking for daddies. So you've got that wrong. They passed up a golden goose on that one. I'll say. Boy, did they miss out on a treasure trove of <laughs> top books. So you must have a lot of your own life experiences uh, with addiction yourself that enters into this. And I wonder if, uh, you know, when you cross the roads with addiction and horror, it tends to be more of a suspenseful horror. Now I'm guessing this. So are you writing horrors that are really based in the mind, or are you 
slash and gore? A little bit all over the place, um, especially with this with my with my short stories. I'm all over the place. You know, I've written I've written stuff that's not horror. That's that is it's still dark in in terms of theme and tone and what the story's about and the subject matter, but it's not horror. Um, I, and I've written you know just straight monster fun type of horror. Um, my novels, the two that I have out right now, one of them falls into that category of you know more mature themes, psychological horror. It's definitely scary. It definitely has some gore in it. Um, but I, it's by no means, you know, like a splatterpunk or extreme horror or anything like that. But my second novel, The Exorcist House, the one that kind of blew up last year, that's the one where I set out to write a quote-unquote fun horror novel. I wanted it to be like, a, I described it as a roller coaster ride through hell. I wanted people to, you know, get the feeling like they were watching like a conjuring type of movie or... Uh, you know, sitting around a campfire telling scary stories and that 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 uh, bonding feeling you get with other people of experiencing something spooky. So, uh, yeah, I, I write the full range from, you know, as, as serious and sad and, you know, um, mature as I can get to as fun and creepy and just balls to the wall scary as, as I can. You seem to have uh, come of age after the horror boom of the 80s and the early 90s. So I was just wondering what attracted you to horror and uh, to dark fiction in general. I guess what attracted me to horror, my first exposure to it, I guess, would have been R.L. Stein's Goosebump series and then the scary stories to tell in the dark books. Um, I, I loved the, the imagery in those books, especially terrified me, those drawings. And then... Um, you know, I was I was a blockbuster baby, so I used to love sneaking away from my parents in Blockbuster and roaming the, the horror section because I loved the, the, the VHS covers, which eventually turned into DVD covers. But I can still vividly recall, you know, the ones that just jumped out at me. And that being in that aisle of Blockbuster surrounded by all that scary-looking stuff just made me feel like I was in an adult world and seeing something I wasn't supposed to, and it just naturally uh, drew me in. Not sure why. Maybe being born in October and naturally looking forward to the spookiest month of the year has something to do with it. I think what really, the, the biggest influence on my writing and my full focus being horror was experience, experiencing watching the, uh, the Exorcist when I was about 12 years old. Watching that movie not only terrified me. I, I mean, I had to turn my turn. I had to turn away <laughs> at, at multiple parts. But something stuck with me about that story, and I ended up reading the book a few years later. And the book affected me on an even deeper level. It still terrified me, but it showed me that it could scare you. And also, it for the first time in my life, it made me think about life after death and the universe and, you know, what's going on in the world outside of just my own selfish little existence. Like, it made me, it, it posed bigger questions. So I was, my goal was to, was to do that. Like, if, you know, horror is a great uh, vehicle for uh, metaphor. You know, the horror genre, you can, you can talk about some, some really messed up stuff, some groundbreaking stuff, some taboo things, and if you wrap it up in something scary and fun, 
you'll get away with it. But, you know, um, experiencing the exorcist really made me want to create something that both made somebody, you know, question the way they think or change the way they see the world, but also scare the hell out of it. It's like one of my porno movies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, so let's talk about this new book and it's called It Haunts. The mind and other short and other stories, and it's it's got fifteen dark tales. You say in it, what is it that ties these fifteen tales together in the book? The title "It Haunts the Mind" that comes from a line in my book, The Exorcist House. It, it's probably one of the the more famous lines because it's sort of a plot development as well as being just regular line of dialogue. But I have a short story in that collection called It Haunts the Mind, and it's set in the world of The Exorcist House. So fans of The Exorcist House that wanted a sequel or a prequel or whatever will be able to dive back into that world with this collection. But the through line um, with this collection is that um, I, I didn't want to just amass a pile of stories, and once I hit a certain word count, Call it a collection. Yeah, that was never my goal. I never actually intended on ever putting out a short story collection. But, you know, as I accumulated them and I noticed uh, I put them all in one uh, Word document and I noticed that they all had this basic through line of either obsession, addiction, grief. Each character in the story had had a little bit about a little bit about one of those things. And so the through line, I guess, would be more obsession than anything else. Now, there are five stories in there that are not horror. Ten of them are outright horror, but I believe the five that you would not find in a horror um, anthology are the ones with the most horrific content in them because they deal with real things, real tragedies, real horrors in life. They still weave into that collection through the thematic elements of obsession and addiction, redemption, all those fun, (laughs) happy-go-lucky themes. It seems like it means a lot to you, like there's a lot going on. It's not just off-the-cuff sort of wild horror here. So so is there in actuality a, a meaning or a subtext to each of these stories and overall that you want people, the reader, to, to take away from the book? I'll, I'll say that there are probably two in there that I hope the reader takes something or, or gets the message I'm trying to convey. Um, they're, they're, the, the rest of them, you know, they're horrific. They're meant to be entertaining. I'm not trying to, you know, leave a leave a message or, or persuade anybody to do anything. But I had um, one, and I had a couple of goals in writing a couple of these short stories, particularly in depicting people in recovery. And, you know, this, you know, kind of differentiating someone who's sober and hating their life because they feel like they're missing out on alcohol or their drug of choice versus someone who is sober and is happy to be sober. You know, that's what I define as being in recovery is when you can go through your life, you can go through your day, you don't think about it, and you don't have to try not thinking about it. It's just a non, it's just a non-issue. So, um, you know, the s- stories like the deal, the one I you know just described, the first one I got published, and then another story um, 
thanks for sharing. Um, that that deals with uh, two brothers, and uh, you know, one of them is trying to help the other one get back on track. Yeah, it's it's a haunting story to say the least. Uh, I I do like the title of the collection. It haunts the mind because I do believe each one of these stories will stick with the reader. Um, you know, it, it literally will hopefully um, plant a seed and haunt your mind and stay with you a little bit, whether that be um, a different outlook on people in recovery or just uh, you're that much more scared to leave your feet exposed at the end of the bed at night. You know, it can be something as serious as the former versus something as silly as the latter. Yeah, I find that the best horror stories kind of resonate with you after reading it. <laughs> when, when the lights are off uh, later on. Um, but I was wondering, do, do you consider yourself um, a natural short story writer or a natural novelist? Do, do you have a preference? Um, definitely novelist because I find in my short stories, I know they're short. So being an obsessive, you know, workaholic type, I want to get to that word count quickly. So I feel like it, I can sometimes rush through my short stories, and once I'm nearing that, that word count, especially if it's for like an open call or if I've been invited to contribute to anthologies, which has been happening a lot recently, um, I find like once I'm safely at that word count, I'm free to wrap up the story whenever I want. And my, my people that I trust to read and give me honest feedback before I send it out to the world They'll point out, they'll say, uh, Nick, this, you know, I was digging the story and then you just kind of, it was abruptly over, you know, I wanted more out of it. So sometimes I'll go back and change it and take a look at it. Other times, if I think it works, you know, I, 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 I don't have to accept all of the feedback. I just have to know, you know, what applies and what doesn't. But in, in writing novels, um, I've, found it much more enjoyable because of the routine that I've set up. Currently, I teach uh, middle school and I've taught high school. And over the summer, I have, you know, basically you know, a couple months, two and a half months to, uh, to write. And what I'll do is on an ideal day, and keep in mind I have three kids and a wife. So on an ideal day, I'll get up, I'll exercise, and then I'll sit at my uh, MacBook and not get up until I've hit at least 1,000 words. And, you know, I, when I wrote my first book, I just Googled how long is the average horror novel. And it said, you know, between 75 and 90,000 words. So I said, okay, if, if I sit down for three months over the summer, write 1,000 words a day, I'll have a manuscript. And that's what I did with my first one. And I was... As uh, you know, I, I, I was very disciplined about that, and you know, it got to the point where if it got later in the day and I hadn't written my thousand words, I would get so freaked out, like I was letting myself down, and you know, I, I drove my family crazy with it. But but you know, I, I finished it and thought the hard part was <laughs> over. I thought because I had written. <laughs> I thought because I had written a manuscript that publishers would come knocking on my door and uh, would sell it and make all kinds of money. And, of course, that is not the case. The hard part was just beginning. Right, the editing and submitting and all that stuff. Uh, but, you know, you were talking about um, 
Yes. You're talking about uh, anthology submissions and, and, and being invited by an editor. And I'm just wondering, do, do you find it easy to write on demand like that when someone gives you maybe a prompt? Because a lot of these anthologies have themes, and they'll say, okay, I need you to write something about this yeah. or that. And I find that, <laughs> that, that I'm like, oh, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm going to write. Do you find it easy to come up with these ideas and concepts on demand, or is it a struggle? It really depends on... The theme, like uh, quite a few of them have been just open horror to where I could write whatever I wanted. And a couple of them um, that I I challenged myself because I wasn't interested in that subject matter. I felt like it had been done to death. So I said, well, if if I don't think it's good enough, if I'm tired of this genre, then I need to put up or shut up. So I kind of put it as a challenge to myself. For example, I just I got invited to this uh, uh, anthology called Vampires that uh, Kennedy or Kevin J. Kennedy is releasing in the next month or two, and it's you know me and a few other guys, and that was the only prompt right about vampires. And I, I have no desire to read anything about vampires anymore. You know, I mean, I love I, I love Thirty Days of Night. I love um, Let the Right One In. There are vamp uh, the original Dracula, but you know, I'm just not a huge vampire guy. So I uh, took it upon myself to 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 write a vampire story, put my own spin on it, and you know, see if it works. And the same with. Um, this other publishing house in Brazil, uh, they actually reached out to me. They were putting together a collection. The theme was, the title of the anthology was 1977, and the theme was Giallo-style horror. So I'm a huge Italian horror movie buff, and yeah, I love all of the 70s horror movies from that era. And I thought... You know, that's such a visual medium. You know, the movies, the Giallo movies, Suspiria, anything but, you know, Dario Argento, those are visual. The color palettes, the the music. So can I challenge myself to write something as visual and make you hear that music, that score that's such an important part of those Giallo movies? Can I do that? And personally, I don't find slasher stories to be scary. And my goal is to write scary things, uh, you know, to scare the reader. So that was my next challenge. Can I write a Giallo story slasher and make it scary without making it be exploitative and, and you know, something that's been done to death, <laughs> no pun intended. Is, is, there, is there a particular story in, in this collection that is, let's say, your favorite or the one you're most proud of? Uh the one I'm most proud of is it's going to be a two-part answer. When people ask me what what story, um, what's the scariest thing I've ever written, or what's the most disturbing thing I've ever written, I always say it's this short story that I submitted to an anthology or really early on called Grandma Ruth, and I found it so disturbing even as I was writing it because you know. Grandmas are supposed to be our, you know, sweet old ladies who likes to, you know, give us candy when our parents aren't looking. And, you know, they're the epitome of everything that is nice and sweet and right with the world. 
And in this story, it's just so dark and disturbing. Uh, it, it it still like freaks me out. Certain passages of that. Now, having said that, the the story I'm most proud of as a writer is another one of those challenge stories. I was never a fan of, or I shouldn't say I wasn't a fan. I was never a reader of horror westerns. So when I saw this open anthology for um, it was Silver Shamrock Publishing. They put out an open anthology called Midnight in the Stagecoach, and it was for horror westerns. And, you know, I love western movies, and I love horror movies. I just didn't think the two would go together to make something scary. Sure, it could be entertaining and violent, but can I write something scary or meaningful? And... I went and read some of Joe Lansdale's uh, early Western stuff, and I went and reread a lot of Cormac McCarthy, especially No Country for Old Men. And I sat down, and I started writing this story called The Noose. It features this uh, outlaw who is a former Union soldier who is now on the run. We figure out, you know, kind of early on that he did something very bad albeit a drunken accident, but he did something very bad. And he's on the run, and you think it's going to go one way. I thought it was going to go one way as I was writing it. And then this random idea sparked in my head, and I said, well, wait, what if this happens? And the whole story kind of turned in on itself. And the finished result I'm I'm so pleased with because it accomplished what I set out to do. Yes, it's violent as a good horror Western should be. Yes, it's got some creepy moments in it, but it's also, I feel uh, it, it hit me on an emotional level as I was writing it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that one because it started out with something I had no interest in or knowledge of, and it resulted in something I'm proud of. Well, it seems like um, it's very important to you. How, how is the process of writing this book changed you you think it's been cathartic you know it's writing these stories i I, i've been doing it since you know 2019 so um i've just been submitting them to different anthologies and you know i can looking at them all together in one collection i can i can see what the first story i wrote was versus what the last story i wrote was um i can see the progression um at least in my mind and I'm very anxious to see if other readers will spot that because they're not in, like, the table of contents is not the order in which they were published. I switched it out. You know, I wanted to open up with a scary story. So uh, Sally Under the Bed, that's a very, that's one of my scarier ones. That's the opener. But then I wanted to completely switch it up and throw in the more serious non-horror stories couple of those and then you know hopefully i have this balance you know like you're listening to a record with some ballads and some hard rock and some you know different type of uh music mixed in there Um, i wanted a variety but i wanted it to be uniform and not thrown together and you know i hope thematically i achieved that you know in writing these stories and in writing Anathema, my first book, which really deals with um, a character in recovery. 
that I've said basically everything I want to say about that subject, and I can kind of move on and, uh, you know, explore tropes uh, that I haven't done to death and, uh, you know, work in other subgenres. You know, I'm really interested in trying my hand at cosmic horror. Oh, you should try comedy. <laughs> so it, it, what comes first for you? Is it, is it Do you have a character in your mind first, or do you have a plot and a, and a story theme, or do you have a setting? And, and which, which is first for you, and, and how do you build well, it? Well, you, you named... You named them all. Uh, so first thing that happened with um, Anathema, my first book, um, a few things had to come together to create a perfect storm to actually get me to sit down and, and write the prologue. So my first goal was um, to write a character that's in recovery whose main character arc was not whether or not they were going to use or drink or get wasted. It seemed like everything I watched on TV, if it had a person struggling with addiction or in recovery, that was all they were. You know, that was their dramatic arc. You know, can they stay sober or not? And in my experience, recovery is the polar opposite. You know, I'm not white knuckling it through the day, just like any other normal person who goes through life on life's terms. Um, so I wanted to have a character in recovery that represented that. And I wanted her to go up against, you know, kind of the most evil, ultimate, absolute evil that she possibly could and uh, test the uh, test her resolve, basically. Now, having that, that idea in mind, I also, in real life, I, I moved with my wife and my stepson into a townhouse in uh, 2018 and in this little subdivision in West Virginia. And our townhouse was in the middle of two other, excuse me, in the middle of two other ones. And lady on um, one side of the house, she did not come out much. And, and, you know, as we lived there long enough, we, we noticed that this, guy kept coming up to her house and would bring her groceries and things like that. And I was outside one day when he showed up and he and I got to talking. He said he was her uncle and that, uh, you know, she was kind of a recluse and stayed indoors. He didn't really elaborate on why and I didn't ask, but he said that, you know, she likes her privacy and that he's kind of her caretaker basically. So um, immediately in my mind as a horror writer, I'm like, Oh no, I'm living next to Axe some uh, crazy person. <laughs> yeah, they're, they they have their they have their ear up to the wall of our bedroom and they're listening to us right now. And and um, so that was my setting. And you know, I was delivering pizzas at the time while I was in school, and I had those two ideas. You know, I had the setting, I had the character. And then I was, as I was delivering pizzas, uh, Led Zeppelin's song, When the Levee Breaks, uh, came on the radio. And just that slow drum build up and the, the lyrics of this impending doom, this, this flood that's coming. I said, that's the structure of the novel. So I sat down and I wrote the prologue and, uh, I, 
think the prologue's like 3,000 words. I mean, I sat down there like a machine and just cranked it out until it was done. And I said, you know, I'm going to write a thousand words in chapter one tomorrow. And, you know, that's that's kind of how Anathema came to be. Um, and, you know, the basic plot of that is that um, you have a young couple with a history of addiction. They have a rocky past and they have a young son. They move into a townhouse and their neighbor has uh, they learn from another neighbor that. They have a reclusive neighbor who has a degenerative brain disorder, and she doesn't come out much, but she has a caretaker. Now, after they've been there for a few days, they start to notice things in their house uh, are missing. Items that were placed in one spot aren't there anymore. And then their young son starts to talk about a new friend he has who visits him through his bedroom closet door at night all hell breaks loose from then on. Right. Their underwear starts missing, going missing. And, well, what's your relationship with your characters then? And and I ask that because so many of our um, guests will say they have, uh, they hear their voices, they see them, um, they hear the dialogue, they, uh, they consider them like friends, children, family, all sorts of stuff. Now, do you have any of that going on with you? I, I've noticed it with, um, like I, I signed on with Crystal Lake to write the sequel slash prequel to The Exorcist House, and it's called The Exorcist House Genesis, and it comes out in September 2024. I'm, I actually just wrapped up my thousand words, you know, earlier this morning, and I'm I'm writing the same char- most of the same characters for the second time, and. As soon as I sat down and, and, you know, got back into this family and had them start talking to one another, it was like I was hanging out in a room with old friends. And the dialogue was just, it just came out so naturally. It was just such an easy experience, just jumping back into a world where I had already established these characters versus, you know, something where I'm, you know, a short story where it's, I know I'm not going to be invested in the characters for, for a long time, but I still need to um, make the reader care enough about the character to where if something bad were to happen, they don't want to see that happen. You know, I think that's that's a fault of many, not only novels, but a lot of movies, and I love horror movies, but that's a fault there is that, the horror lies in caring about the characters and not wanting to see the bad things happen to them. Like, I feel like if, if the, the creator, the artist can achieve that, then that adds a whole level, not just horror, but of terror and suspense. So when you have all that working for you, you know, you can crank out something like The Shining. You can crank out that cemetery. Um, you know, so that's... Character is very important to me. Uh, I'll just, uh, I guess, leave it at that. Well, do your characters ever surprise you? Do, do they take over? Do they ever kind of take over the plot and maybe go go off the rails and, and take you into areas that maybe um, you don't want to go? Yes, um, absolutely, because I don't, I don't plot out my novels. Um, the way I've described it before is that when I sit down and I start writing, 
I kind of almost close my eyes and, and, and imagine the scene like I'm watching a movie. And I kind of just do my best to dictate um, the, the sounds I'm hearing, the sights I'm seeing, what's being said, um, how everyone's feeling and reacting. And I try to just type all that out as, as quickly as I can, like I'm watching a movie. And, I, and people have said, you know, my, my books read very cinematically. And I think that's because I started out writing screenplays where it's very minimal description of the scene and then it's a lot of dialogue. And um, so that's kind of how my novels read. I'm under no impression that I'm going to be this great prose writer, you know, where people study my, you know, you know, I'm not going to be Cormac McCarthy. I'm not going to be Brett Easton Ellis. But uh, if I can write something that's going to uh, be, you know, fast-paced, engrossing, make you care about the characters, scare you a little bit, maybe plant a seed in your head, then I feel like I've succeeded. But um, in, in not plotting and being what they call a pantser, I will have characters, you know, mid-di- or mid-conversation, a character may say something that completely alters the scene, and then in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, if they just said this, then this can happen. I'm going to make this happen. So, for example, I was writing a scene in The Exorcist House where it's, you know, it's probably about a third of the way into the book. And, um, you know, this this couple who are in love, you know, I, that was one thing I wanted to have in, in The Exorcist House was having a married couple that's not like a bickering mess to watch. You know, I wanted them to, you know, being a a family unit, happy to be around each other. So once the evil stuff starts happening and you see them start to turn on each other, it's that much more traumatizing. So I had uh, Daniel, the, the husband, the character, he's he's had a few beers, and he just, you know, offhand remarks something very bad to his to Nora, his wife, and it's it's one of the more shocking scenes in the book because it just come, comes out of nowhere and uh, it has nothing to do with the horror or the, the terror that's in the, in the book. As I was writing it, I was not preparing to have him say that, but I felt all this frustration and rage and fear and anxiety building up in this character. And then I realized that he's four beers deep into this conversation and it just blurred it out, and it completely changed the dynamic of that scene, and it spawned new scenes. So, um, you know, I think it was Quentin Tarantino that said, if you're ever stuck on writing something, just get two characters in a room and have them start talking to each other. Quentin Tarantino, I have to look him up. He writes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he actually his his books are actually really good. You know, his movies, of course, are amazing, but I just read his book. Um, on cinema, and man, he's got some solid advice. Stephen King's book on writing is sort of my Bible when it comes to, you know, writing a novel. But I picked up something from Tarantino's book where he said, after your, when you're at the end of your writing session for the day, we as writers have a tendency to want to end, end the scene, to want to wrap it up. He said that, you know, if you're writing and you're nearing the end of your session, Stop mid-scene. Stop right before that punch is about to be thrown. That way, tomorrow, you're not intimidated about sitting in front of that computer. 
you're excited to get back into the action. So that's something I've, I've tried to practice doing. I mean, it's hard. Once you're on a roll, you want to get it cranked out. But it's also rewarding the next day to sit down and, and just jump right back into it. And, uh, you know, that's it's worked for me so far. Stephen King, he's another writer? I think so. Um, <laughs> I yeah. To, I have to look him up, too. Be wary of Stephen R. King, though. Don't get those <laughs> confused. Yeah. Okay, I'll write that down. Well, listen, so do you like to interact with readers, fans, horror people, and all that stuff? And if you do, how do you like to do it? Do you have uh, social social media accounts set up? Do you have a website? Uh, where do people find Nick? Yeah, so I um, I interacted with with authors first, really, back, because whenever I uh, published The Exorcist House um, through Crystal Lake Publishing, and that was, you know, they are an independent publishing house, but they're one of the larger ones. You know, they, they won a Bram Stoker Award for, you know, Best Indie Publishing House. And when I signed on with them, they gave me a list of all these podcasts and guest blogs and interview spots. And they were like, you know, sign up for as many or as little as you want. So I, I started networking with other authors that way because a lot of authors have their own podcasts or TV shows, not TV shows, but like YouTube shows, stuff like that. And I hooked up with fellow author um, John Durgan, and he told me after the podcast about a Facebook group called Books of Horror. And he said, you should really join this group and, you know, get your book out there. And because there's like, 35,000 people in this group. So I said, okay. And, you know, I get on Facebook and at the time I had just created like an author Facebook page. I had my personal one and I just created the author one and I got in that group and I, you know, posted a link about the exorcist house and put, put an image of the cover and the cover by Matt Barnes is kind of, I think what made people, click on that because as soon as I entered that group with that amount of people in it, it, it took off. It became Crystal Lake Publishing's best-selling novel to date. And, um, it just went viral and it, it went spread all over TikTok, Instagram. And in, now I see it in Barnes and Noble. And just from interacting with John on his podcast, it led to the Facebook. Now with social media, I highly encourage other authors, especially like independent authors, to uh, engage with the readers. And, you know, if, if I post something on my author page and someone takes the time to comment on it, whether it's, you know, negative or positive, I always like the comment and I always respond to the comment. And, you know, that's just one more level of engagement. And I will do that with every single post in these Facebook groups when I post on there, I'll have a lot of people comment and get into discussions. And, um, you know, what's funny is right now in that very same Facebook group, there's this um, indie horror author brawl that's going on. And it, think of it as March Madness, but with uh, independent horror books. And they, uh, they, they chose The Exorcist House as the number one seed out of, you know, it started out 115 books and now it's, they have the bracket set with 32 books. And I, I took, I'm trying not, I'm trying not to take it too seriously. And I'll jump in and record a video of myself sort of roasting the other authors. 
in a very deadpan kind of like Norm MacDonald esque way, I guess. And I started doing this, and I, you know, a lot of these authors are my friends, so they're not, they know I'm joking around. I'm trying to make it like a wrestling trash talk smack event. So uh, that's been very fun, and that's brought a ton of engagement. Like people comment on those videos, and I've gotten other authors to engage back with me, and, and the fans are just digging that up when they see that the authors are uh, roasting each other. Great. Now, do you have a website, and what what and what is your social media account names you go under? So yeah, my website is www.nickrobertsauthor.com, and from there, you can access, um, you, know, you can buy signed copies of my books when they are in stock. You can buy all other types of merchandise that's on there. I also have links to my socials, but um, on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, uh, you'll, you'll find me as uh, Spooky WV, as in West Virginia because that's where I was born and raised and lived until last year. So my, my LLC is actually called Spooky WV LLC. So if you want to find me on you know, any of the, any social media, it's Spooky WV. And then on, on Twitter, it's different. It's uh, Roberts 9859 Not hard to find. No. Okay, perfect. We'll have everything up on our website so people can find you with one click. And we appreciate you being here. Now, the book we were talking about, or your latest book, is called It Haunts the Mind and Other Stories. And the author of that is Nick Roberts. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.com. HouseOfMystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.